Our universe is incredible, surrounded by mystery and beauty, and many of us have questions about our past, present, and future. October Hollum is an intuitive medium with over 20 years of experience. She has assisted people with discovering their path by understanding their past and connected the living to their loved ones who have made the transition. She is currently offering readings through Skype, Zoom, FaceTime, phone, and in person. You can reach her at theancientgift222 at gmail.com. Welcome back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host, Chris Matthew. Tonight, I want to welcome Jeff Doherty. Jeff spent over 20 years as a licensed minister, during which he discovered his gifts of healing and exorcism. He also saw the cracks in the foundation of big-time religion and set out for answers on his own. He is now an author, talk show host, and spiritual worker, exposing not only the deception of religion, but the fear, guilt, and control matrix we're currently in. Jeff, how you doing tonight? Hey, my pleasure to be here with you. Uh, my honor. It's always a privilege to, to come on with you and uh, be a part of your great show and speak with your great audience. So thanks for having me. Oh, well, thanks for coming on. And um, I've never had you by yourself, so I'm looking forward to this. Um, oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, this is your first time solo, so it's going to be fun. Now, Jeff, I grew up Catholic, and I noticed as a young child, I always felt that something was off with religion, something with religion in general. I even got creepy feelings when I went to churches. Um, you know, take us back. Take us back to your beginnings. What got you interested in being a minister? And then ultimately, what led you down your current path? Sure. Um First of all, I hear that a lot from people, that they got creepy feelings in church, and I tend to hear it more probably from folks that have a Catholic background. And, you know, with Catholicism, there's a lot more, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but a lot more hocus-pocus, you know, the smoke, the pageantry, the pomp that we really don't have much of in the Protestant realm. So there's more things to be, you know, wigged out about, more things to be uh, – weirded out about in the Catholic religion, but we still have people that are Protestants that still get the same weird feelings, still get the same uneasy feelings. And I think it's probably something that is hardwired within us. I think that deep down in our core, even though we've been, you know, buffeted by at least 2000 years of this fear and guilt control matrix, we still have this little spark of us somewhere that knows that we're divine, knows that we're sovereign, knows that we're free. And when we go into an environment that is promoting beliefs and systems that run counter to that, I think it, it stands up and it, it, it becomes noticed in almost everybody, but some people either don't listen to it or some people just push it down or they ascribe it to being you know, a lack of faith. Me, I must have some psychopathic tendencies because when I first went into church, there was nothing I didn't like. I liked it. I enjoyed it. I felt very, very uh, compelled to be in church. Um, it wasn't very long after I was in church that I was what we call, uh, call called to the ministry. So I began uh, preaching at a very young age and now, teaching. Now, I just want to stop you for a second. Mm -hmm. What is that like? What, what is being called? 
I mean, what is that just a feeling that overwhelms you? What is that like? It's like a, some people hear an audible call. I didn't hear an audible call, but it's just like a, it's, it's, it's very kind of uh, scary when you think about it because it sounds a lot like what I would call now, you know, my higher self or the spirit of divinity speaking to me, but it's, it's different. And as I look back in retrospect, but you, you know, some hear a voice, but it's just one of those, like Mormons would call it the burning in their breast over the fact that Joseph Smith is a prophet of God. And a lot of people feel it, and that's kind of what it is. It's just a certain knowing that, hey, this is something I'm supposed to do. Um, and that's just the way it was for me. I can't really speculate how it is for other people, but I felt a pretty distinct, what I would call a calling. So... Take us a little bit further. What started to open your eyes to, you know, things aren't quite right here, you know? Well, that was a, a, a pretty long process. Um, I became a preacher, went to Bible college, uh, became a licensed minister with the Assemblies of God, and went out and started preaching you know, in my first church. And I began to see that a lot of the things that, that taught us in Bible college didn't measure up in the real world. And what I really began to see was a dichotomy in the scriptures themselves between the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of Paul. And I got to the place where I could not help but uh, say and believe that there really are two religions being taught in the New Testament, one of Jesus and one of Paul. And ultimately, that's what caused me to step away from uh, organized uh, Orthodox Christianity. So, you know, moving forward to today, where do you see, you know, what do you see Christianity as? Do you see it as what it is, you know, what it's supposed to be in the Bible? Or has it just been manipulated as a, basically a tool for control? You know, that's an increasingly tough question for me because when I first came out, I would have just said it's, you know, it's a fear and guilt control matrix. It's just there to hurt people, to control people, to keep people afraid, to keep people, you know, under someone's thumb. But, you know, the more, I guess, maybe the older I get and the more people I meet, I do realize that there are a lot of people in the church that are kind-hearted, a lot of people in the church that are sincere, a lot of people that really do want to seek uh, their higher selves and seek a, a, a contact with divinity. And the church is, to them, the only way that they know to find it. But yet, even with that being true, and I'm sure that's true, or there's no doubt in my mind that's true, even with that being true, there's still no doubt in my mind from objective empirical evidence, both in the scriptures and in history, and also from now, believe it or not, almost 39 years of study and over 100,000 hours of study in the biblical text, that I can't escape the, the objective empirical fact that Christianity, as we know it, is literally a fear and guilt control matrix. It's a system that has been set up to keep people in bondage, to keep people from discovering who they are, and really to keep people in a place where their labors and their very energetic essence can be harvested to sustain other beings, both spiritual and physical. And I really think in the West, Christianity as we know it is the underpinning for all of the systems that control us, you know, the political systems, uh, social, cultural systems, and even our education system. Based on your experience, do you see that we have an actual 
spiritual realm that we can interact with where there are actual entities, conscious entities that we can interact with and that have been interacting with us basically throughout history. Well, if, if I go back to my very earliest times of any spiritual understanding, any religious understanding, and come all the way up till now, again, you know, some 39 years later, if there's one thing that I'm sure of is that there are entities out there that do interact with us. Some of them are benevolent, they're on our side, or they're at least indifferent to us, and there are others that are malevolent and are not on our side and are not indifferent to us. They do actively get involved in our lives. And I think there's a, a limited number of those. And I think most of the things that people battle with really are projections of their own psyche coming back to them. But that's probably a whole other story. But there's definitely, I don't think how any, I don't think anyone can walk a spiritual path uh, across the spectrum from, of any type of a spirituality and doubt after any length of time that there really is a true spiritual realm out there and there really are beings other than us that we do interact with and that you just can't escape that if you're going to walk the spiritual path, in my opinion. Now, do you think this is sort of like an interdimensional type thing where it's just beyond the veil of, I guess, this reality that there is, you know, a whole different universe or possible multiple universes with different dimensions and different levels of, I guess, frequencies and vibrations that these entities can manifest at. I'd say the answer to that is yes, no doubt about it. I think there are, there are entities in this same frequency that we're in, in this same 3D world, in this same, this same frequency, the same harmonics, the same modulation that we're in. And I think as, as you're saying, and, you know, some of the great teachers like, you know, David Icke, who you've had on the program, talk about that there really are multiple dimensions and there are interdimensional beings that enter and leave, that interact. And I'm coming to believe after talking with people like Robert Stanley and some of our other great teachers that we really do have a situation where reality kind of flows and ebbs and they're like waves. And we have times where our realities and other realities intersect for sometimes seconds, who knows, maybe sometimes hours and days. And even though we're not really tuned into other realities, we get bleed over from time to time. So I think that not only are there entities in other dimensions that are coming in and out that we're reacting and interacting with at times, but there's entities right here in our own reality as well. So yeah, we're dealing with a multiplied multitudinous and multiplicities of beings and entities that we can potentially interact with on a daily basis, I think. What about the possibility of us creating the entities through our own thought forms? Well, most people, I make this statement after we just said that, it, it'll sound crazy for me to say this, but most people don't ever deal with a devil. Most people don't ever deal with a real demon. You know, I, most people have never seen a great white shark because they're not as dumb as me. They don't go out and get in the Pacific Ocean and actually swim with great white sharks like I've done. So most people never going to see a great white shark, but yet we're all still afraid of great white sharks. But the spiritual reality is that, and we all love to talk about the law of attraction, but we love to talk about it when we're talking about manifesting a mate or manifesting a million dollars or manifesting a new car, all the positive stuff. We're all on board for the 
law of attraction. But what we don't realize is that even though that's true, and it is, the negative also applies. So all of the energetic emanations that you put out into the universe, the things that we're not proud of, our hates, our fears, our jealousies, our angers, um, the things that we don't really like about ourselves that we do put out, those things are energy and those things are real. And what happens is those things, let's just talk about a simple one like hate. I hate my neighbor. We had a neighbor acting all silly out here the other day, so I don't hate him. I'm working on it. But there was a time I would have hated this neighbor. So I put this hate bomb out into the universe. And this hate entity, it is an entity. It is energy. It goes out there, and it's circulating, and it's going around. And it tends to draw like energy to it. So it'll draw other hate energies to it. And over time, these things can actually become entities, sentient, cognizant entities that have something that looks like personality. And there's a law, a spiritual law, and believe it or not, I think Newton talked about it, Sir Isaac Newton. I think a lot of uh, spiritual teachers have talked about it. Sooner or later, these things that you send out, they're like salmon. They have to come back to you. They have to come back. They have to swim upstream. They have to come back to where they respond. And I can help people deal with this. You can help people deal with this. But at the end of the day, no one can really deal with their own stuff like themselves. And those things come back to you, and they're unbalanced energies, and they, they have this sentience. They want to stay alive, quote, unquote. They want to stay independent, but they've got to come back to us. And our job is to reintegrate them, rebalance them, because we're the ones that unbalance that energy and put it out. It's our job to reintegrate it and rebalance it. But they don't want to be reintegrated. They don't want to be rebalanced. So they know us because they came from us. So they'll play on our, our, our biggest fears, our biggest weaknesses, our biggest worries, and they'll manifest themselves like they're demons. Oh, Jeff, I'm getting attacked by demons. No, you're not. You're getting things coming back to you that you started. And once we realize that we don't need to fight demons, in my opinion, we don't need to cast out demons, the best thing to do is to flood your immediate area with positive, balanced energy. And that will cause one of two things to happen. Either one, this thing that you started anyway is coming back and your positive, your, your balanced energy will zap it back in har harmony. It's reintegrated. Everything's good. Or if it's not yours, it won't be able to maintain and stay in the vicinity of that balanced energy and it'll run off. So that's a long answer to a short question, but I think that's one of the most profound revelations and discoveries that I've had, you know, in my 38, 39 years of spiritual uh, discovery and learning. Yeah, that's fascinating. And people can literally just be their own worst enemy and create hell for themselves, basically. And I'm Well, we know that. We always know that, you know, we know that rhetorically, and you know, everybody always says, oh, I'm my own worst enemy. It's in our culture, but we don't realize that it is true. It is real, and until we become cognizant of it, we'll continue to be buffeted. I promise you that are watching this, 99.9% .9 of you that think you're being buffeted by demons, you're not. It's just the salmon swimming home. Learn to flood your area with positive, balanced energy, and you will see 99.9, I sound like Jay-Z, 99 problems, but a demon ain't one of them. I guarantee you it'll work. Is That's that Jay-Z? What's that? Was that Jay-Z that said that song, you 99 know, I, Problems? I couldn't tell I you, know. honestly. <laughs> Me either. Yeah, not my style. But, okay. Maybe it was Snoop Dogg. I don't know. Possible. So, let's move on to this. What is your idea or who or what 
is God? Is there one divine source for all? Is this the same God in the Bible? Um, or is it all a trick? What are your thoughts on this? That's a deep question. If we could answer that one, we could shut this whole thing down. But I intuitively, I know that there is somewhere within this reality or another reality, there is a divine, an ultimate divinity. And from what I know intuitively and from what I've studied, I'm convinced that that divine entity is probably equally male and equally female. It's a combined, balanced divine being. And I think that the, I don't know, the ineffable one is there. Now, I think beyond that and where we are, there's a whole lot of layers and a whole lot of different types of or levels of divinity. I think that we are created, as the Bible teaches, with the spark of divinity within us. I believe we really are divine. We really are sovereign. We really are free. And that as we continue our spiritual development and growth and ascension, if you will, step by step, we can become, I mean, Jesus said, you are gods. I think we can become divine uh, spiritual beings. And even though once you become a divine spiritual being, you can become a higher divine spiritual being and a higher divine spiritual being. So there's this cycle, I'm convinced, in this path of continued growth, continued development, continued perfection. Do we ever actually completely return and coalesce to the great one divine? I don't know, but I think that our real calling as beings with the spark of divinity is that of constant and continual improvement. Yes, there is a God out there who or what he, she, they actually are. I'm not sure, but I am sure that between us and them are a lot of divine beings that we call gods and we call goddesses. I don't happen to worship any of them right now, but I do have relationships with some of them. And I think there's, some, again, some of them that want to work with us, some of them that are completely indifferent to us, and some of them that don't want to work with us. But there's a lot of divine beings out there between us and the ultimate divinity, in my humble opinion. Well, that brings me to my very next question, the little G gods. Mm -hmm. I mean, what significance do they serve when it comes to our planet? Do we have specific gods ruling over our planet, um, I mean, is it like, you know, is there Lucifer, the, the, is he the ruler of this planet? Is he the deceiver? I mean, what, do you, what are your thoughts on what's going on with this? Well, before we proceed, let me <laughs> give a disclaimer that these beliefs and opinions are not the opinions of the host or the channel on which I'm appearing. These are my own. <laughs> Thank you for that. Blasphemy. So don't think that they in any way indicate acceptance or adherence to by the host. But I think that right now, this realm that we're in is being run by a little G God that's doing a terrible job. I, from everything I can look around and decipher, the God of the Bible, who's the one who's in charge of this thing, they're, they're telling us he's a lousy God and he's doing a lousy job. And as I have stepped back and look at this and uh, I think have at least come somewhere near figuring out at least part of it. We are divine, sovereign, and free, and we're always wondering, why does a God do something? What if we're the gods that are supposed to do something? And I'm seriously, literally asking and pondering right now, 
is it possible or is it even our responsibility to gather a coalition of like-minded, enlightened human individuals along with allied, what we would call God-like individuals, little g-gods, to get together to confront this God that's doing a terrible job with this planet and this realm, get rid of them, and put somebody in that's better suited for the job. Now, you know, that actually, it kind of, it, it, it makes sense. Because, you know, I've always had thoughts like that. I know that we, our potential as humans is far beyond anything we could ever imagine. Just oh, yeah. in consciousness. And the collective powers of our consciousness, I believe whoever this is ruling over us is terrified of that. Actually, I think that, let's just say that that could occur, that event or that scenario could occur. I think that whoever this little G-God is who's doing the lousy job, as soon as he, and I think this is a he entity, as soon as he saw this gathered force against him, there wouldn't even be a battle he would run, he would leave, he would flee because he would know his time is up. And I think, I think he's, uh, is it too strong to say he's a coward? I, I'm, I, that's what I think he is. And remember, these are my opinions. Now, do you think that this is the Lucifer of the Bible or is it another deception? <sighs> do you put me on the spot? Do you really want an answer to that? Oh, of course I do. Let's get deep. I think it's the Jesus of the Bible. Okay, now you're going to have to you're going to have to explain this one. Well, I think if you look back and again I have either the the burden or the blessing of also having uh, two years of uh collegiate level um anthropology. So I know how to look objectively at cultures, I know how to look objectively at literature, I know how to look objectively at artifacts. Of course, I'm just a neophyte with only two years, but it does give me the ability to look at history, to look at culture, to look at writings, to look at uh, the, the situation in which writings were written, i.e. the New Testament being written under uh, Roman military rule and every word of it having to be approved by a censor. People don't realize that. Everything in the New Testament was written or was vetted, edited, and approved by the Roman government. But, and I used to preach Jesus up one side and down the other. But after all this research, there's no objective proof. There's no empirical proof outside the Bible that he ever existed. And I think that even if he did, the Jesus that is portrayed in the Bible, and there might be two of them, so I'm, I'm, I'm betwixt and between on this too, but the blood sacrificing Jesus, the, the Jesus whose blood they want you to cover, the Jesus who they, or whose blood they want to cover you, the Jesus who they want you to ask into your heart to live there, sounds a lot like possession to me. That Jesus... I believe, and I just did this a couple weeks ago, that he, and it's more than a belief, I think it's a knowing, it's, I, I can prove it, that this scenario where people always remember that Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness by the devil and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and if you'll just worship me, I, I feel that I've proven that he did take the deal and that Jesus is now the ruler of this world and Jesus is the one that's coming back again. And, and what I think is going to be a, a false flag spectacular if we don't wake up to it. 
And the guy that's running the show isn't even this guy that we call the father anymore or Yahweh. I believe it's Jesus that's running the show. And he's the false, the fallen, failed, flawed little G God that's running the show here now, in my opinion. I call him plastic Jesus because he's not real. He's fake. Wow. Now that is something very different than I've ever heard. Now, that being said, is there a Satan? Is there a Lucifer? Or is this just something constructed for more confusion? Well, again, if you follow, and I'm, I'm just a text guy. This is all straight from the New Testament, believe it or not. If you follow it, boom, 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 boom. You have Jesus being transformed into a light being. You have Jesus in the book of Revelation showing up as, as this bright, shining light guy. And then you have Paul telling us that Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. So I think the person that we think of as Satan and the person that we think of as Jesus, same dude doing the same deeds. That is fascinating. Now, you know, we're going to have a lot of people putting some crazy comments on this one. But man, it, when you think about it, it's, it's like, you know, it kind of opens your eyes and makes you think, you know, it, it, it's definitely got my mind turning in a certain direction. It's a, it's a different way to look at it. Well, one thing that I can assure you is that every bit of what I've said, I can point to chapter and verse in the original Greek, in the original Hebrew uh, text of the Bible. And the reason I always go to the text is because the text doesn't care what you think. The text doesn't care what you've been taught. The text just is. And I am convinced that in our spiritual walk, in our walk of enlightenment, there has to be some, of, some objective standard of proof and of reality. And if we're going to talk about a Christian context, then text or scripture has to be that objective uh, place that we have to look at and say, okay. I think this, you think that, what does the text say? And we look at the text and we go with what the text says. And again, the text doesn't care what you think. And frankly, I don't care what you think either. I am not here and I'm not, haven't made over 2,300 videos on my Christian whistleblower YouTube trying to make anybody change their beliefs. All I do is put out information, put out um, what I call truth and let people make up their own mind. Uh, Mark Twain, here's my, my call to action. Mark Twain said, it's a lot easier to fool somebody than it is to convince them they've been fooled, but I'm not willing to stop trying, at least convincing people that they've been fooled. So come see the information, uh, come to the water. I can't make you drink. Come to the objective information. I can't make you think. I'm just the mailman. Sometimes I bring you bills you hate me. Sometimes I bring you checks. You love me. That's just, that's the, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Very well said. Now, um, what are your thoughts on this? Are we constantly recycled? Um, are we reincarnated? Is there a way out of this? What are you, what are your thoughts on that? And your first question, are we constantly recycled? Yes and no. Uh, can we get out of it? Yes, absolutely. I think that what happens is, and you know, and I refer back to the message of Jesus. I don't think Jesus was real. I don't even think that's a real word. It's a, it's a linguistic absurdity, a linguistic impossibility. There was no J until the 16th century. Um, even the word Christ is a terrible translation from the Greek. It should be anointing, consecration, flow. And the message of the anointing, which to me is the message of Jesus, the true message of the anointing, I'm sorry, what did you say? Oh, reincarnation. 
one of the big messages of that was that we can achieve what we're supposed to achieve here in this human life within a single human lifetime. That was one of the big changes that I think that message brought. That being said, we do keep coming back and coming back and coming back until we realize what we're supposed to realize here. And I'm convinced that the kernel of what we're supposed to realize here is I'm divine, I'm sovereign, I'm free, no one's coming to save me, no one's coming back again, it's me. I have to go in and, and find a dark night of the soul and work through it. I have to walk through my valley of the shadow of death. I have to realize I'm divine, I'm sovereign, I'm free, and if it is to be, it's up to me. And I think that's what we're here to learn and to find out in this reality. And once we get that and understand, ah, oh, okay, I've got the spark, I've got to fan it into a flame, I've got to go, I've got to grow. And I think that's the key that we've got to get. And that might be the key that unlocks this dimension to us and allows us to move on and upward in our continued uh, spiritual process of uh, towards perfection. Do you think it's ongoing? Do you think there's more levels even after the next one um, that we could possibly, you know, infinite levels of enlightenment that we could possibly achieve? Well, as many levels as there are between who we are and who that ultimate ineffable, illimitable divinity is, there's probably that many levels of growth and development. So I would say an emphatic yes to that question. Now, earlier when we were talking about demons, um, I've always been fascinated with exorcism and possession. Mm -hmm. So, and, I, you know, I know you were an exorcist. So, Still am, really. I don't like the term, but still am involved in entity cleansing. Let's, let's call it something that sounds nicer than exorcism. So, is this actual demons possessing people or is this something different based on your experience what is this well you know i grew up and cut my teeth as a pentecostal evangelist and you've got to be able to cast out demons as a pentecostal evangelist and i probably cast out you know thousands of demons literally um again we talked about most people think they're being attacked by demons they're really not they're being uh, revisited by things of their own creation. And, you know, sometimes you have to deal with people where they are. You can uh, help them realize what they're doing and, and get rid of those things. Sometimes there are entities for whatever reason that do attach themselves to people. People do silly things. They go to places they shouldn't go. They have sex with people they shouldn't have sex with. They bring things home that they shouldn't bring home. Sometimes they just have the misfortune of living in places that are portals or entryways or that have some strong attachments. So it is still necessary to be able to uh, do the work of, you know, cleansing beings or now I'm a little bit different. If it's say you call me to your house and say, Oh, I got a demon here and I want to get rid of it. If that demon is there, the first thing I'm probably going to do is find out why it's there. If it does have the right to be there, I might broker a deal with it where if it's just nice and doesn't bother anybody anymore, at least you guys until you're gone, it can stay. Now, a lot of people say, oh, no, you got to destroy them. You got to get rid of them. I'm not, I'm not of that opinion, but there are still situations where people still do have trouble with entities. I think they're few and far between. So there is still a place for the work of what we would call exorcism or entity cleansing um, in the world today. 
I don't know if that answered your question or not. Yeah, it, it did. And, you know, I, I have seen a lot of stories in, you know, uh, Asian culture where whole mm-hmm. classrooms are getting possessed and it's in, they're talking about a big rash of exorcisms. Um, is this something that you've heard or are these just stories? I've never seen it before and I can't remember really reading about it. Uh, so that's something I couldn't comment on. I just don't have, I haven't seen it, haven't been able to analyze it at all. And is it possible that a person could have an entity basically attached to them their entire lives and not even know it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I learned a, a hard lesson one time after spending 45 minutes to get a lady free of a entity and she sits up and says, oh, where's my friend? And boom, it came right back. You got to make sure before you start casting devils out of people that they want the devils gone or you've wasted a lot of time, number one. But number two, those entities, once they're cast out, can bring back with them a lot more than just themselves. So you can leave a person far off than they were before you started doing your exorcist work. So that's why you got to be very, very careful who you ask to do spiritual work on you. And I think you should exercise some caution on who you perform spiritual work on as well. Exercise some due diligence and some common sense, which isn't so common anymore. But those, those would be my a couple pieces of advice from having done this for longer than a lot of people have been alive, which is really kind of scary. Yeah, now I know, you know. Probably longer than you've been alive. You're not 38 years old, are you? I am 39, yes. Oh, okay. (laughs) Now, it has to be dangerous. Um, Have you ever been in an experience where your life was in danger, you know, through the, the exorcism process? No, because fortunately... Now I'm not a dummy, and when I was a dummy, I was arrogant enough to cover for my dumminess because it's really not dangerous at all if you know who you are spiritually. If you have your spiritual confidence and your, the power of your own a spiritual intention, if you work with some God, I mean, you can have that too. But when I was a dummy, I was so full of arrogance and intention that I was able to blow my way through what could have been some hairy situations now. I mean, there's really no danger. If the exorcist was made about an ex-Pentecostal evangelist that is now doing what I do, the exorcist would be five minutes long. You'd walk in, hush your mouth, come out, fade to black. It's over. So it's really not dangerous. They just want you to think it's dangerous. It's not scary. They want you to think it's scary. It's not even that difficult. They just want you to think it is. Because we have power over these entities, and they have to go when we tell them to go. And that's just the way it works. So really, it's not dangerous. It's not scary. It's not that dramatic. It's just, I mean, I don't have any more problem telling demons to leave than I had telling my three- and four-year-old children to go pick up their room and making sure they do it. Now, these possessions, do they really give people, uh, you know, in some cases, superhuman strength. Uh, I don't know, levitation you hear about. Is this these things that actually occur? If you let them occur, they will. If you don't, they won't. Have you ever experienced this? Back when I was a, a, a greenhorn, I did experience a situation, uh, several situations like that. Probably the, the most dramatic one I had, we were down in Central Florida, or Central Florida, it was actually Central America, 
and we had a witch doctor levitate up to about six feet high in front of us uh, before we were able to contain that situation. That's the most dramatic one. But even now, um, that would not be, I wouldn't allow that to happen. But in that case, from a Christian standpoint, my buddy who was really in charge said, you know, I wanted to stop it right when he got off the ground. He says, no, let him go, let him go, let him go. He got up six feet high. Then we told him to leave. He smashed down, lost his breath, wind knocked out of him, and on the whole village got saved. So that's why we let that happen as long as we did because my partner was convinced that we needed that to get everybody saved. Today, as soon as he started going up a little bit, I would cut it off and not let it happen because I don't believe performing it. performing an, an exorcism on a shaman? Uh, that's what he was. I mean, back in the day, I would have called him a witch doctor, but he was definitely a shaman, you know, the, the village shaman. And we were there having some success, you know, converting people to Christianity, which really the guy was trying to do his job. And uh, we were intervening and he walked in, couldn't speak English, but all of a sudden he spoke perfect English and said, your God has no power. I'm going to show you power. He lays down on this dirt floor and levitates and I'm ready to give it to him. My buddy says, no, no, hold on. So he got up six feet high, and then we rebuked him in the name of Jesus, all that. He fell down. Everybody got saved. So, Wow. That is fascinating. That, that But the sad thing is, the shaman was right, and I was wrong. We should have left things be. <laughs> I never thought about that until right now. That's interesting. That is very interesting. When you talk about these exorcism and and possession let's go to the other side of it mm -hmm. let's talk about miracles performing of miracles okay um now i know that you were involved with this have you ever actually performed miracles is it actually you doing this or is this just the power of belief that is doing this yes and no our yes is probably the yes is the answer to both of them it can be Either A, the power of the belief of the person receiving the miracle. It can be the power of the intention of the person performing the miracle. And it can also be the power of some benevolent outside um, power that is allowing it to manifest. So it could be any and all of those. Now, could you talk about some of the experiences you've had with Miracles, I mean, what exactly is considered a miracle that you've experienced? Well, in the Pentecostal evangelist world, it's got to be a pretty big miracle to be a miracle. Um, I've had people, you know, on the, on the short, on the smaller end, um, you know, sprained ankles go away, you know, um, get up and walk on a broken leg like it's, it's, it's well. That's kind of the smaller stuff. I had a lady who um, had a big goiter on her neck. It was like the size of a football. Uh, it's just a big growth on your neck happened to be a black lady and I touched that thing and it went poof and it floated down like a leaf and disintegrated on the ground and she's just got a big white spot where that thing used to be on her neck um, probably the most dramatic one I ever had was I was in Bangladesh praying for a big old long line of people and this one guy came and said this guy I want you to pray that he receive his sight I'm like oh, okay cool we're praying I, I started praying for him and I realized about midway through that not only does the guy need to have his sight restored, he's got no eyeballs. So I'm looking at these empty eye sockets with the lids way back in. And long story short, in about three minutes, 
the dude grew eyeballs and opened his eyes and was seeing, and they were blue. And he was a black dude, so with blue Ooh. eyes. It was pretty odd. It was down in, in, uh, in um, not Bangladesh, uh, Morocco. Now, ho- hold on a second. He grew eyeballs. Grew eyeballs, yep. Now, this seems like something that you would have been heard about worldwide if this happened. I mean. Well, if you were in the Assemblies of God, you heard about it. <laughs> that is amazing. Back in the early 80s. Now, I mean, do you think that that was just the power of belief or was there some sort of divine intervention there? Um, that's a good question. I never really analyzed that because that was back in my, I mean, I was full-blown, red-hot uh, Pentecostal evangelist. So I had a lot of power of intention going on, a lot of belief, you know, in the name of, of Jesus. And then again, you have to throw in another another factor. I'm convinced that a lot of times the reasons why Catholic priests and Roman Protestant priests are effective and Roman Protestant preachers are effective in casting demons out is because it's almost a symbiotic relationship. And I'm convinced that some of it is a an agreement they make knowingly, and some of it is just um, a symbiosis behind the scenes. Because I think that when a Catholic priest or a Roman Protestant priest casts out a demon, that makes the priest look real good, that makes the church look real good. And the demon is willing to play possum for a minute, get cast out, quote-unquote, because he knows he can go get seven more worse than him and come right back into that person. And the Catholic priest or the Protestant preacher doesn't care too much either because then the person's possessed again, and they need to come back to the great guy that got him unpossessed. There's probably a lot of the miraculous that works in the same way. Was that guy growing his eyes meant to get me hooked, line, and sinker so I'd spend the next 20 years of my life doing this work? Uh, Was that meant to really give me enough juice to keep me from – listening to the questions that ultimately led me out, or was it just a situation of where I had enough intention, that gentleman had enough faith, or the divinity somewhere decided to take mercy on him and give him his eyes back? It's a good question, and we'll probably never know the real answer to it, and the answer might be all of the above. That is the craziest thing I think I've ever heard. That's amazing. For some reason, to me, the shaman one is crazier, but... Yeah, those that's those are the two probably highlights over 20 years of uh, Pentecostal evangelistic work. That's amazing. So I got nothing left after that. <laughs> All right. Well, now let's talk about angels, the other side of the spectrum. Mm. Angels, are these just the little G gods? Are they different types of uh, interdimensional entities? Do they actually protect us? Are they out for you know, our well-being, do they look out for us? What are angels to you? I think they're all of the above and everything in between. I'm convinced that a lot of the things that people think are great, helpful, wonderful angels aren't. Um, I think that I used to, it wasn't too long ago, I was pretty much convinced that all the angels were either, were at best deceivers, and probably most of them were uh, malevolent. But now I'm, I'm, a little bit more balanced. I think that there probably are what we would call angelics. Are they ETs? Are they angelics? Are they interdimensionals? What are they? I think we could argue all day long about that, and at the end, it doesn't really matter. But there are some sub-deity 
sub-God level beings that are out there that help. There's some sub-God, sub-divinity level beings out there that don't help. And whether you call them angels or ascended masters or, you know, uh, guides, whatever you call them, I say be very careful of them. And one thing I have to say, and I, and I know you didn't ask this question, but this whole idea of, well, Jeff, I know that I just asked my guides that they're of the light, and if they tell me they're of the light, I know they can't lie and they're good. Honey, please wake up. They lie for a living. Just because something says it's of the light doesn't mean that it is. You got to use a little more discernment than that. Let's talk about some of the things going on now. Um, we've got what it seems, these awful agendas to make humans not human anymore. Um, people want to be anything besides what they're born as. Uh, it's this transhuman agenda. I don't know if they want to make everyone robots, but, you know, it starts with the food, the shit they spray in the air, the water. It's making us sick and unhealthy, so we mm -hmm. can't live in these bodies. So right. what comes next? What is your thought on this agenda? Well, I, I say almost every time I have a show that we're the last generation of real humans. And the, the reasons that you've touched on are exactly why we're the last generations of real humans. All the stuff that you just said they're doing to us uh, and more that we don't know. There's, you know, the electronic warfare, the frequency warfare, the food warfare, you know, the, the chemtrails and the stuff in the, in the, this is really my backyard, the lake behind me. All of that stuff is designed to break down and deconstruct the human mechanism. Not to mention that I get, um, I'm working on this. And I don't know if I need to stop being angry about this, but every time I drive by a McDonald's, 80% of the time there's a line around the building and I'm thinking, what are these people thinking? They're eating this crap and it's designed to keep you from being physically optimized. And if they can keep you sick, if they can keep you fat, and if they can keep you obese, if they can keep you worried about your blood sugar, they can keep you from being physically optimized. And I'm convinced, and I know it's a truth in my reality, that if you're physically optimized, it's much, much easier to become spiritually optimized. So part of it is to break down this organism so we don't realize and ever reach optimization. Because if we're, if, we're, if we're struggling just to stay alive, it's very hard for us to get to the place where we realize, oh, there's more to this. But actually, at the end of the day, I'm encouraged by this because I'm convinced that they, the great they, those that are against us, the powers that be and that are rapidly passing away, they're convinced that they can't beat us. They know that we have something that they can't identify. They're trying their hardest to duplicate it. They're trying their hardest to replicate it. They're trying their hardest to imitate it, but they can't. They can't. All the electronic warfare they're trying can't replicate the spiritual energetic power that we have. All of these transhuman things that they're trying to do can't duplicate the spark of divinity and the power that we have within us. So they know they can't beat us. So they have to keep us from realizing who and what we are. And that's what all of this I'm convinced is aimed at is preventing us from realizing who and what we are. Cause and David Icke says this, if they can keep us from waking up, then they can beat us. That's the only way they can beat us. But I'm convinced that the cat's out of the bag. They can't unring the bell 
it may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, it may not be next week, but the lion is waking up. We are realizing we're divine. We are realizing we're sovereign. We are realizing we're free. We are realizing who we are. There's enough of us putting out enough of these messages that it's over. We've already won. We've just got to go and enforce the victory. And I, I, I'm convinced that if we just keep going the way we're going, that we will be the last generation of real humans, but that's enough because we'll be able to win. All right. Well, that being said, what are your thoughts on the presidency? Here, before you answer that, I just always mm -hmm. let my guests know that I, in my belief, every president is a puppet. I believe that, the, that he's just a figurehead. Uh, there are controllers beyond him. Now, I do want to say that Trump has done interesting things that have made me raise my eyebrow. It's different than has ever happened in the past, and it gives me a glimmer of hope. But there is still just that old feeling that I've always had that I just don't trust any president, any politician, anyone in power. What are your thoughts on Trump? Well, I have a little bit of a unique view on Donald Trump because I had the opportunity in the late 80s to have about a 20-minute conversation with him at Taj Mahal. So I've had the opportunity to look into his eyes. I've had the opportunity to, you know, watch the way he interacts. I've had an opportunity to kind of read him a little bit. Had an opportunity to shake his hand, even though he didn't like to shake hands back then. I said, I know you don't like to shake hands. He goes, oh, that's okay, and he shook hands. So I know a little bit about the guy, but I also know that he had a one billion dollar personal debt he was two days away from being personally bankrupt to the tune of a billion dollars it was over in a group of 12 banks that controlled that debt 11 of them decided to let him off they bought out the 12th one who wasn't going to let him off which was deutsche bank by the way interestingly enough so donald trump as he came into the presidency was bought and paid for to the tune of $1 billion by this group of people that want a third temple built, um, that want to control the purse strings. So he was bought and paid for by those guys. That's the way it was. Now, as Donald Trump has recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, as Donald Trump has moved the U.S. Embassy to Jerusalem, as Donald Trump has recognized Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights, he has done three things that all of those guys with their trillions and trillions of dollars haven't been able to buy and could not have bought. So I am convinced sent by President Trump's actions after that, those three things, that he walked them to the door. They said, thank you very much, Mr. President. Thank you very much. And he said, oh, by the way, fellas, that billion you owe me, it's done. I believe, based on actions, that President Trump is now, I'll use my own phrase, divine, sovereign, and free within the presidency. And what we see from here on out is going to be the real Donald Trump. And not coincidentally, what we've seen is, no, I'm not going to attack Iran over them shooting down a drone. Even 200 people's deaths aren't worth it to me. I'm not going to attack Iran. What we're seeing is the first president not looking at the DMZ through field glasses from so far away that nothing could happen to him. You see a president shaking his hand, walking into North Korea, treating the guy like he's a president. That's going to get resolved. You see this 
um, salute to America, honoring our military and doing some things that you won't believe that he really did that I can't really talk about right now. So I think I, I see evidence that Trump is operating autonomously now. He was bought and paid for. Now he's autonomous, not to mention Jeffrey Epstein is headed for a 45-year uh, all-expenses-paid vacation. So I think that Trump is the real deal. Do I want him dating my daughter? Probably not. But I think he's the real deal. What do you see happening in 2020? You see him getting reelected? You know, <laughs> yes, I think he'll be reelected in a quasi landslide. He will be reelected. And I'll make, I'll make, I'll make, before Donald Trump leaves office, there will be something unforeseen, unprecedented that only the king of debt, as Donald Trump is called, could do in relation to not only national debt, but the individual debt load on Amer on the American people. There's something that is dramatically going to happen that Trump is going to be front and center for. And I think we will see documentation before Donald Trump leaves office that shows that Barack Hussein Obama, a.k.a. Barry Sotero, was not born in the United States and was an illegitimate president, one of the greatest monstrosities ever perpetrated upon our nation. That would be amazing if that happens. I mean, it'd be amazing if, if this, you know, this Epstein arrest trickles down into the arrest of all these other psychopaths. Well, they also released almost 200 pages of documents pertaining to the Epstein investigation. And you know, there's a lot of names and some of them start with C-L-I-N-T-O-N, I'm sure. Maybe they will lock her up. I've always said they won't. Maybe they will. I still doubt it. So where do you see us going in the next five to ten years? Now, right now, the censorship is killing our community, basically. Um, the, the Internet, online, YouTube, social media censorship um, is preventing, it's basically scaring people into not speaking their own minds. Do you think that we even have a future in this community uh, within the next couple of years? Remember how we just talked about how the, the GMOs and the transhumanism and all that is designed at taking us out because they know they can't beat us? I think this is very similar. If we're smart, if we use our heads for something besides hat racks, that we can, we can navigate through this time. And let's face it, it's a sad time in the YouTube world and in some of the other worlds right now. There's a lot of things where you can't say you can't. I had to fire one of my best friends because he wouldn't go along with the YouTube guidelines. That was one of the reasons. So it's, it's hurt me and touched me personally. But I believe that if we're, why do you think I refer to people as the third Templars? We all know who I'm talking about, but I'm not talking about the words I can't talk about. If we can be creative, if we can be ingenious, we can navigate our way through a tough time and continue to get our messages out. If we have to run the flag and march off the cliff saying, we're going to say whatever we want to say whenever we want to say it, we will not be here anymore. And if that's your decision, I support your decision to do that. I think we can be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. Be a, use a little uh, linguistic ledger germain, get our information out, get our message out. Do I want to be able to say what I want to say when I want to say it? 
Yes, I do. But at the end of the day, if I want to do that, I can put up videos on my own website and say whatever I want. I'm on YouTube's platform at YouTube's. I'm a guest in their house. If they say you can't say this, then if I want to stay on their platform, I can't say that. I've made the decision to employ some linguistic ledger germane, some intelligence to maintain my ability to reach out to almost 40,000 subscribers now and, I don't know, six, eight million people a month. That's just my opinion. If you differ with that, I, res I respect your opinion and we don't have to agree. We can, you can do it your way. I'll do it my way. And at the end, hopefully we'll both get it done. Well, you are right. I mean, they are forcing us to have to look outside the box and do things differently. And you're right. We can't just march out there, jump off a cliff, uh, you know, yelling that we're going to, we're not going to adhere to the censorship because it's not going to do anything. I mean, we're both dudes. We've been in the place where we're picking up girls. If you walk up to a girl and say, hey, you want to have sex? You're not going to be very successful. Right. If you, yeah. if you take a little softer approach, you might be successful. It's a terrible analogy, but it's really kind of the same thing. Jeff, that was an amazing conversation. Before you head out, give everybody your website, YouTube channel, where they can find you. It's a one-stop shop. Just get on YouTube, type in the Christian whistleblower. You'll find me. And it's a one-stop shop for all of my blasphemy and my heresy right there at your fingertips. Awesome. I'm going to leave a link for that in the description. Jeff, thanks again. That was an awesome conversation, and I'm going to definitely have to have you back on soon. My pleasure. Anytime. Just give me a call. All right. You have a good night. Thank you, folks. Bye-bye.